I have had a terrible week and has anybody ever had a panic attack before? Okay, and Jeff, you've had two. He's had 20. This whole week I felt like my body is just clenched and at any moment I'm just gonna start weeping and ball over. And like one time I thought I was having a heart attack. I'm a different, I, I'm different than some people though because I'm an extrovert. So when I get around people, it like lifts me up and I get excited. And then when I get alone is when that stuff kind of hits. But alone is when you're supposed to like write sermons and things like that. And so this week has been difficult. And earlier this week, as I was trying to write this sermon and I was trying to finish it up, I called my friend Jordan to go over some stuff with him. And I realized everything I was thinking didn't really fit at all what I was trying to say. And by earlier this week, I mean two hours ago. And so I have some thoughts that I want to externally process tonight. And one thing that's really important as I process those thoughts is that we continue to understand, and I continue to say this because we continue to have different people come and new people come and want to understand that there's, we might not always be in this shape or posture because of how things change in rooms. But as far as starting, I am not up there. And when that pulpit was designed, it was set off to the side so that the cross or the icon of Jesus could be in the middle or the table where the communion elements were, which represented Christ's body and blood. And so the preacher or the pastor would be over on this side and Christ would be center stage. And over the years, all of that has evolved and changed and shifted and we don't necessarily understand fully what it means anymore. So we've just put the microphone off of it all. And we've said the focus of everything we do is going to be Christ. Now, I had a really cool professor in college named Rick McPeak. And he's going to come here. He said he's going to come up here for two weeks and stay at my house so that he can see everything that we're doing. Because I asked him, he's an artist and he works with artists. And he said, and we asked him because we are seeking to combat gun violence is one of the biggest things we're trying to do. We asked him if, if he would help us build and make a piece of art that we could display here to draw our focus to what Jesus is doing in this neighborhood. A piece of art that represents Christ. Some people call it an icon of Christ. Made out of guns or bullets or shells or something like that. So that when we come into this place and we focus on the Christ that we know, we'll be able to say, okay, we have an idea of what God is doing in this neighborhood. And we know how to pray, and then we'll know how to live, and then we'll know how to work. And art has this way of inspiring that in all of us when we know how to work towards something because Christ has embodied that. That's called juxtaposition. When you take something like that and you put them together and you make that feel. And that's what art does. And Jesus was really, 
really, really good at that. He did that with a thing called the cross. And he made one of the worst torture devices we have ever experienced, have seen in human history, become something that we wear around our necks and on our ears. Because Jesus could juxtapose. And so we are in the business of taking that which has been used and thrown away, that which has been used for violence and hurt, and turning it all into something beautiful. So in order to get there, here are my few thoughts from what I thought was a terrible sermon, but after talking to Jordan a little bit, I think it will give us some things to think about. I asked Anna if I could preach about David and Goliath again, and she was like, no, that's all you've talked about is David and Goliath. And so then I was like, but my other sermon didn't work out, so I have to talk about David and Goliath again. <laughs> She's like, okay. There's this moment in time in the story of David that exists before David and after David that he becomes central to. And it is how people handle power. We see the prophet Samuel come to this small shepherd boy. And even when the prophet shows up to the house to like anoint this person who's going to be a man after God's own heart, even the dad thinks that it's every other older son. Like, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. And then we find David, the last one, the smallest one, being called out as a man after God's own heart, which later turns out to mean he's the one who's going to be picked to be king. But there's a problem with that because there's already a king. And kings don't like to give up their power because kings are the absolute most powerful being in the world at that time. And who wants to give that up? Hey, I think you could do what I do. Kings had the authority to kill entire families, which is what they usually did when they took over the throne. They would kill off the other king's entire family. And so who wants to give that up? And so now we've got a prophet coming in saying, oh, looks like this guy's next in line. And we have a king named Saul gets, a, I might say, a little paranoid about this ordeal. What happens if he gets dethroned? What do kings do when I get dethroned? Plus, I'm going to lose all of the power that I have. And so we see David become a bandit. We see him run. We see him recruit and draw together these other people who've been kicked out of systems and they become his mighty men. And we see a small army form of rejects who aren't really rejects, but people who have been told that good things are going to come out of your life, potentially. And so this thing starts to build, and Saul doesn't like it, and we see the power struggle, and we have been taught to read this story as Saul is bad, David is good. But there was a time when Saul was anointed as king. And so there's a shift happening where people are applying God to a situation in all of their understanding of what's going on and not including the reality that they have power systems at play and that those power systems don't work very well. 
And so you can't take your governmental structure and say, oh, God wants to do this in it because your, your structure is not perfect. If God says something in the middle of your system or your structure or your empire or your kingdom it's, and you were to fully obey it, it would flip everything on its head. But these structures and these empires, they're not fully able to be flipped upside down on their head because they're designed to preserve themselves and keep going. And if, and if a kingdom that is living off of wealth that's coming from places where maybe it shouldn't be coming from, then how in the world are you going to turn that altruistic and flip it on its head? And so we find this vulnerable people in Israel coming up against people like the Philistines who are sweeping through the land and taking over everything with their power. And they're just trying to sustain themselves and survive. But they've also copied the systems that they see around them. Samuel said, you're not supposed to have a king, but the people demanded a king. We want a king because that's what it looks like. And David comes along and this is this young boy, man after God's own heart, which I'm not convinced he stayed that way, but seems that he is at the beginning. And he exists in the system of power and David sees power as conflict. I will fight this Philistine. I will go with God and compete against this Philistine who wants to destroy our people. And by the hand of God, we will be free. David sees power as conflict. And Saul saw power as conflict. But even in the middle of that skewed view of how to use power, David has this conversation as a young boy with Goliath on a battlefield where Goliath says, I am fighting today for my God. And I am going to destroy you on behalf of my God. And David's response is, I am fighting today with my God. It's like in the middle of this whole mess where we're going to send two people out into a field and they're going to kill each other and then we're going to kill the rest of everybody else and we're going to all do it all in the name of God. Even in the midst of all of that violence, he's on to something. And it's this concept that he's not fully able to grasp, but he gets it enough to use the word with Emmanuel. God is with me. And if God's with me, I don't need Saul's armor. And if God is with me, it doesn't matter that we're smaller. And if God is with me, then God is the one who's going to move me and, and create space and pathways for me and Goliath, I'm fighting for God. Side note, when I encounter Christians like myself, I always ask the question, am I doing this for God or am I doing this with God? And I can jump on a website and read a statement of faith and very quickly discern <laughs> Do you believe your ministry is for God, defending Him, protecting Him from all the bad out there? Or do you believe that what you're doing is with God, moving with the heart of what God wants to accomplish in a space or in a world or in a neighborhood? Which is why we did a lot of work to come up with a vision that says simple, sustainable church that empowers the neighborhood.
not we believe this and this and this and this and this and this and this. When it came to define our beliefs, we simply wrote, our beliefs have been handed to us by Christians who lived long ago and they can be summed up in two simple creeds, which, to be honest, between you and me, have been debated, I was going to give him a high five, have been debated for thousands of years. And so Goliath is fighting for and David is fighting with. And we see this mess happen through the kings and the religious leaders and the Pharisees and this understanding of God. And then this new guy enters the scene thousands of years later, the Son of God, Jesus, who has the nerve to call himself the Son of David to point out what David got, I can take further. I can fulfill. I can move. And Jesus says, thank you, Jordan Kellicutt. Give away your power. Hey, Goliath. What's wrong, man? What's the problem? Can I take you to coffee? You want to go walk the valley of the shadow of death? My daughter laughed, so I added a joke. Jesus lets Goliath kill him. Jesus lets those who demand power through violence, whether that be with their words or their spears, whether that be with the way they hire and fire people, whether that be with the way they talk about ministry, or with their chariots. Jesus says, that's not my battle. My battle is that I know if I give away my power, I will rise from the dead. And friends, I'm only 39 and I've experienced this concept enough that if I can give my power away, and I cannot think that I'm fighting for God, but instead I'm moving with God, then even when the punches are thrown and the spears fly, and even when the stuff hurts and I've gone through the abuse, if I cannot defend but give my power away, I will resurrect. And then God has the nerve to show us how it works every spring when the flowers come up again and we've all been depressed and we're all, we're all ready to up our medication like 10 notches and then the sun comes out and we're like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. There's something about giving away our power that Jesus saw and Jesus did that even thousands of years ago, David was beginning to understand I'm not going to fight Goliath on my own. I'm going to do this with Emmanuel. Because I believe Emmanuel is going to give that power to me. He understood that through power is conflict. Jesus asks us to understand that through power as a gift. We empower. And that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for Edison Chapel. 
And that's my prayer for this city because we exist right now in a neighborhood that needs empowered. That needs us to give our power away. The things we're trying to save, the things we're trying to protect, the things we're trying to keep to ourselves because we're afraid as we've collected more and more and more that someone's going to come get it, whether it be the government or whether it be like a bad guy or whether it be a robber. That we think we have to protect that. And Jesus says, give it away. And if you can give it away, Emmanuel will make sure you continually rise. I don't know if you've noticed how much stuff Chapel's been given. Has anybody noticed? I've noticed. We're constantly giving. We're constantly giving away. Not so that will be given to, but because we understand the principle. Then the principle is we're not meant to hoard our power. Because if we hoard our power, just like Israel learned, it will turn to maggots. And just like Saul learned, it will make you paranoid. David was on to something. And Jesus said, as a son of David, let's take this to the next level. And I think we can too. Kids, are you ready to make these things? All right, quietly make your way over to the table. We're going to meet you there.